Hi, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. This is the Sales Hacker Podcast. And today on the show, we've got Alyssa Merwin. Alyssa is the Vice President of Sales Solutions for LinkedIn North America. This means that she runs Sales Navigator because that's part of a sales solution. She's one of the most important people selling sales engagement and sales software in the world because she runs perhaps one of the most important tools. But she's also an incredible leader, an incredible manager, an inspiring person. So we're super happy. This is her second time on the on the pod. And it was just as good because she's an incredibly insightful, intelligent, articulate, awesome leader. So we're excited to have Alyssa and you're going to learn a lot from this conversation. You're going to learn a lot about managing people through a crisis because that's what the pandemic is. It's a crisis. It's a perpetual slow drag crisis that seems to drag on forever, but it is a crisis and you have to change and you have to evolve. And Alyssa tells us how to do that. So it's a great episode. Now, before we get to the meat and the potatoes of this particular episode, we would like to thank our sponsors. They make it this all possible. They make everything you're doing in your life possible, these two companies, so we thank them. The first is Sapper Consulting. Sales enablement is easy. All you have to do is create perfectly targeted content, stay informed on email best practices, drive more engagement quarter over quarter, spend less money, oh, and do all of this with less time. Okay, it's not that easy, but Sapper Consulting, has built Reggie to keep the promise of sales enablement and keep your team doing what they do best, which is winning. Reggie, with one G, uses artificial intelligence to create entire outbound, inbound, even follow-up sales campaigns faster using over 1 billion rows of performance data. Listen, the other guys have got 100 million rows. They don't got a billion rows. These folks got a billion rows. Using over 1 billion rows of performance data across 75 industries, more than 75 even maybe 76, could be 80 industries. It's a lot. Reggie uses your your targeting to inform your campaigns, decreases the time your team spends creating campaigns because that's a pain in the ass. And because the campaigns are structured on email best practices, your campaign warm-up period will shrink the result, more sales meetings, which means more money, dummy. Start creating better sequences faster. You're not a dummy. I didn't mean that. Don't be uncomfortable. It's okay. I give you a hug. Visit go.regie.io. Go.regie.io and don't be upset. It's okay. We're going to be okay. Our second sponsor is Outreach, the number one sales engagement platform. Outreach revolutionizes customer engagement by moving away from siloed conversations to a streamlined and customer centric journey. Honestly, if this makes sense to you, mazel tov to you. This is some complicated language. Here's the point Outreach makes reaching out to people a lot easier. You can send lots and lots of emails, and it all feels like it's personally directed at that person that you sent it to, and it's useful, and it keeps you from making stupid decisions over your email and pressing send and having and offending a, a ton of people. Outreach is great. They're the number one sales engagement platform. Check them out at www.outreach.io. Without further ado, let us listen to my conversation with Alyssa Merwin. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today, we've got back on the show, one of the best people we've had on the, on the pod, uh, Vice President of Sales Solutions for North America, Alyssa Merwin for LinkedIn. And Alyssa is going to be talking to us about the changes that have happened in both social selling and the new kinds of selling as a consequence of everything that's been going on with the global pandemic. So Alyssa, welcome back to the show. 
Hey, thanks, Sam. It's great to be back. We're excited to have you back. So what we like to do is, it, you know, I think I, I don't know exact date of the last time we, we were uh, together, but it was definitely over a year ago. So we want to get a refresher on, first of all, I, I gave your the, the title in the intro, but tell us your title. Tell us what you do at LinkedIn. Obviously, we know what LinkedIn is, but give us your mandate and your purview. Yeah, thanks. You, you nailed the title. So I lead the uh, North America business of Sales Navigator. And that really is a responsibility. I have a, a sales org that spans both acquisition as well as existing customer retention and growth and everything from SMB to our key and global accounts. So really the, the full gamut of, of what you'd see at a, you know, at a sales organization. And we're a few hundred people and growing by leaps and bounds, quite a big business these days. Yeah, it feels, if, uh, let, me, let me just ask you one quick question. I mean, it feels like it must be, I would imagine that your business unit is one of those business units that has probably in some ways reacted positively even to to the global pandemic. Are you are you seeing some some green shoots and some growth even through everything that's been going on around the world? Well, you know, it's been it's been a an interesting journey. So, like probably every business at the beginning uh, when we were all just trying to figure out, you know, which way was up and what was the world going to look like, we've kind of put sales on pause and really said, you know, everyone needs to become customer success right now and make sure that our existing customers are getting value and we're helping them. And let's not worry about, you know, closing deals and acquiring new, new logos. It, this is, this is about doubling down on, you know, the customers we have. And then as we started to learn more and, and we started to realize that, you know, some of our customers were getting really hard hit with the pandemic. Others were in sort of this frozen mode. And then a, a third category were really in growth mode. And we, we really shifted to figure out, you know, we've, we need to treat each of these differently. And now we are uh, seeing, uh, you know, quite a bit of momentum because, you know, in this environment when everyone's virtual uh, almost, it's a really a, a great platform to be able to have. So we are certainly seeing some some tailwinds, but also experience some headwinds in different parts of the business, as, you know, especially with some small customers. And again, those that are, are really hard hit by the pandemic. So it's been an interesting, interesting journey. I think it's still evolving. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk a lot about that. But before we get there, there, there's definitely folks that were not listeners the first time you were on the show, and I think it's always just a great story to hear. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you how did you get to LinkedIn? Walk us through a little bit of your of your career journey, and then we can dive into you know how things have evolved and changed as you just mentioned. Yeah, sure. Well, I probably am in that small category of people that have only worked at a couple of companies. Uh, I've been almost a lifer really at two. So the first one was a company called Corporate Executive Board. They changed their name to CEB and now they're owned by Gartner. And I spent my first 10 years uh, straight out of school going into my first sales role as a BDR, worked my way up into an AE role, which was my dream at the time. Uh, getting to pay to travel and get out and see the world and meet with executives and then moved into leadership. And then uh, about 10 years in, I made a personal move to uh, New York City and that wasn't super conducive to the company I was working with. So I, I got connected to someone at LinkedIn who brought me on to be one of the first sales managers of our uh, basically account management relationship management team. And I spent the last almost 10 years at LinkedIn and I can walk you through a little bit of that journey, but that was really the transition that got me to, uh, to where I am today through, you know, taking on a bunch of different roles over the, the last few years across different parts of the business. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in that journey at LinkedIn. So what are the different roles and how did you, I think right now 
I mean, I can't speak for LinkedIn, but I can speak as, as a revenue leader in the world that you're running one of the most powerful products that exists for sales teams. How did you end up in this role specifically, given that you've been at LinkedIn for so long? Well, you know, it's my career at LinkedIn really started in our talent business. So I, at the time we didn't even have the sales solutions or sales navigator business. And so I came in to help lead sales for companies that were looking to recruit and, you know, do employer branding on LinkedIn. And it was, you know, I think one, just being open to different opportunities that came along across that, that 10 year period. I was at one point running all of the East account management team. And then that we went through a bit of a reorg and my role actually went away. And so I was left with one, one option, which was to run the SMB business, which, you know, on paper was not necessarily the job that I think would have been as appealing. It wasn't the big strategic, complex, you know, parts of the, the business and sale, but it ended up being a phenomenal opportunity because, you know, it helped me really identify that that was a business where we had a lot of opportunity and it hadn't really been identified yet. So I got to go do that, that, uh, that role running the SMB customer business. And then I realized, you know, I've been at LinkedIn now for a handful of years and I've only been doing the customer side of the business since I've been here. And I started to talk with some folks externally just to get some career advice. And they said, you know, you really need to make sure that you've got recent acquisition experience if you're going to be is super marketable internally and marketable externally. And so I, you know, was looking around the business and thinking about how can I expand my skill set and make sure I'm getting that acquisition experience that's more recent because I'd had, you know, nothing but that until my time at LinkedIn, but once I got to LinkedIn it was only on the customer side. So, and I identified there was a great role that I didn't have any experience in, but I felt like, you know, it was something that would really round out my experience and skills. And, you know, I could bet with myself to figure out the business part. And so I went to my boss and I said, you know, I'd really like to take a stab at running this business. And, you know, he, he had said to me, I, I don't know that this is the right job for you because you don't have the experience and you don't have the passion for this part of the business because you, you've never done it. And I said, I think what you need for this role is a great business leader, a great sales leader. I'll figure it out. And I absolutely will be compassionate about it once I dig in. And uh, so we agreed and, and I got to take on that role. And that was really what teed me up for coming into the the sales navigator business because it was actually really complementary in terms of the skill set, even though the product and the, the buyers were radically different. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's a fantastic journey. Let's talk a little bit about how how selling has evolved, given that you have such a unique perspective. So, first of all, your day must look different than it did last year. At the same time, what do you think's changed, and what maybe surprisingly has stayed has stayed the same from from where you were doing a year ago? Yeah, my gosh, it's it is a different world in every in every way than than just twelve months ago. And you know, I think there there are absolutely some things that have, you know, haven't changed, but a lot of what has, I'd say has really focused one on just the people and the well-being of our team. I mean, you know, of course we always care about great culture and morale and making sure people engage, but it has never been so important to check in on how are people really doing? And especially those that are balancing family demands with business. And so I'd say that, I, hey, I would probably spend more time than I've ever spent just making sure that before we get into you know, how's the business going? Are we on on track? 
that we're really, di- you know, diagnosing and understanding, are you in a place that you can even have that conversation? So that's one really big change. And, you know, I, I think there are elements of that that are probably really good and we should continue to do even once we're through this pandemic. But, but that's something that I probably wouldn't have expected to spend as much time on as we've needed to and, and has, you know, I think been required over the, the last few months. Some of the other things that, you know, that are have changed because we're now all virtual and remote, the you know, the hallway conversations and just the connection time is, it's so hard to get that. And so I'm making myself much more available. So I've been doing office hours with anyone in the organization that wants to dial in. That's been such a great way to just connect and get feedback and, you know, share information in both directions. So that's new. And I'd say probably something that I would adopt as a, at least for myself, a best practice that, gosh, I wish I had figured that out you know, years ago. Uh, and we'll, we'll want to keep doing even once we're, we're through all this and maybe even back in the office. And then the things that have stayed the same, you know, we still have a business to run and we still have customers that need us. And we still have a lot of customers. And in fact, many more today than we probably even were aware of that need us that we need to be going out to market with. And so it, that's one of the things that has absolutely been consistent. You know, we did, like I said, we took a little bit of our, our foot off the gas a few months ago to say, like this is not the time to be reaching out and selling, but now we're, we're sort of back to as long as your customer is not in a distressed state and they have a business run, let's be there to support them. And if that means, you know, growth and expansion, then that's where we need to support them as well. Has your go-to-market motion changed to, you know, uh, th- this topic exactly like to what you just said, right? Which is that a couple months ago, everybody took their foot off the gas and wanted to make sure that they were leading with empathy. There's now, I think that we've moved into the a, a different stage of the pandemic, which is just acceptance of the world as it is, and now a renewed emphasis on we've got a we've got a business to run, as you mentioned. Have you ch- modified or changed any of your of your fundamental core strategies? Well, we are seeing that in a similar way that we said we need to double down on existing customers, we're starting to see that shift in the market as well. I mean, you and I have been in this, you know, in sales for our entire careers. And, you know, usually acquisition is the primary thing that companies are going to focus on. And I think in this environment, there's a realization or recognition that the customers you have are almost more valuable than you know, spending energy going out and acquiring the new ones. So, you know, we've always known that we, we need to, you know, keep churn low and, and maintain customer continuity, but I think it's never been so apparent how, how critical that is. And, and for us, what that's meant is that we need to help our customers think about us differently, because I think historically we've been viewed as, as a solution that really is all about uh, business development and uh, customer acquisition, but we really play a huge role as well with customer success teams, relationship management, and account management teams, and can provide just as much value. So it's we've had to you know, help with new messaging, educating the market differently, and so that has changed our go-to-market. Um, you know, everything from collateral to changing preconceived notions about you know who we are and what we do. So that's been one big shift. You know, outside of all of the other dynamics like you know, doing everything through you know, video conferences and, you know, virtual meetings. Has the, to the point of kind of this, this, this shift in, in strategy, new messaging, a better emphasis on the customer, how has, how you define success for yourself and your team, does that look different now that we're all virtual and in this new world? Well, you know, we, we did, you know, there, I think there's just a, a recognition that there's so much uncertainty with everything going on that, 
I don't know how much you can use the old methods of measurement, or at least for, you know, when we were early in this pandemic, using the old methods of measurement were really the right ways to measure success. You know, a lot of what was going on, especially at a, from a macro perspective, was out of our control. And so I think one of the philosophies we sort of adopted is do the best you can. You know, if you're doing the right inputs and the right outputs every day, for a while, that was as much as we could ask for. And whether you got to the, you know, results of the outcomes that we, you know, had given you was, you know, to some degree, a little bit outside of your control. Now, I, I do think we're at a point where, again, we have a, a better sense of what's going on and and how our particular market is is being impacted. So we now I think we can get back to a place where we can, you know, move move back to those normal key performance indicators and, and activity metrics. But for a while, it really was let's let's just do our best. And part of that's just being there for each other and being there for our customers. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. It feels hard to plan right now. So to the point of uncertainty, right? And everybody is, and in fact, you know, before we got on this call, I was, you know, Googling how many, uh, how many drugs are in phase three, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how many vaccines are in phase three for, you know, and the answer is three. And there are, I think, um, nine in phase two. So, th- but the, the question is, you know, how do you forecast right now? How do you work with leaders across LinkedIn to plan? And what advice would you give others as they work on sales and revenue planning? Yeah, you know, it's it's been so interesting to see this evolve. Uh, you know, on one hand, you're right, the ability to forecast out too far or to plan is really difficult. And so, you know, I think there are some companies that are thinking about, should we be doing this monthly, quarterly, annually? We're we're taking a bit more of a an in between, more of a semi annual view, and then giving ourselves the opportunity to, to revisit. Now we just, you know, today or July one technically is the start of our new fiscal year because we're a June thirtieth fiscal. So we will treat the July one to end of December as a six month period that you know will be the first six months of our fiscal, and then based on how the world has evolved and what's going on and whether there are vaccines by then and what the economy is doing, then we can recalibrate whether that's adjusting plans or, you know, rethinking the strategy for the year. So that that's something that we've taken a really hard look at. And I think it's the probably the best we can do for now. You don't want to take too short term approach. And you also certainly don't want to take too long term approach right now. So that's, that's what you know, how we're approaching, at least for the moment. Does this put pressure or does it create, I guess, anxiety or consternation to your point, right? There's this this tension between you want to make sure that everybody is just doing their best, but I'm sure someone somewhere in the organization is also worried about, well, if we if we relax our standards around accountability, then maybe how will we know if we're doing our best? Is there tension for you as a leader across so many people in your organization to balance accountability and responsibility and, and sort of like a, just a confidence that business can be done with the reality that people are in different situations. And it's really, really hard right now for a lot of people, especially young parents. How do you balance those tensions? Yes. I think tension is the right word. And what's interesting in a business like this is because we've got everything from our inside sales, most transactional business to the global accounts, which, you know, are the large, complex, very large deals, they play out so differently and the activities you can hold people accountable to are so different. And and so what, one of the things that's been really helpful for us though, is that segmentation. So we can look at different parts of the business and use 
Q4 as a proxy. So if we just came out of Q4, we can understand. We performed at a certain level. Let's use that as a you know, maybe directional guide for how we can plan and what we can hold people accountable to going into this next year. You know, I think one thing that has been constant, and I, I'd say even a surprise to me, was that the activity metrics and the the behaviors that we wanted to see actually didn't dip. I mean, again, other than that very early period of the pandemic when we, nobody was really sure it was appropriate to do any outreach, once we got through that, the team was more productive than we've ever been in terms of engagement and outreach with our customers and prospects. And that engagement and activity led to better than ever results and conversion. And so I do think that at least in our case, we've got a pretty good sense of if we can hold you to these activities and can hold yourself to them, we think we have a pretty good sense of what the results will be. Now, as you mentioned, the the challenges, you know, for those individuals that are really balancing, you know, family commitments and responsibilities or, you know, whatever they have outside of work. And in that case, you know, we're really fortunate that LinkedIn has some really generous policies and, and benefits that they've created to, you know, work with people one-on-one if they're not in a place where, you know, they, they can take on the full responsibility of the workload right now. And so we'll work with them on that. But it's, I think, you know, we're at a place now where we have a pretty good sense of, I think we can ask people to, you know, do the the, the activities and outreach that we think are the right things for our customers and, and hopefully the results will come. Are there activities that are new? Is the basically the profile of success measurement the same or has it evolved? Are you looking at certain metrics more, certain metrics less? Is it really, listen, we, you know, we look at number of emails sent and number of calls made and those things aren't going to change or talk time. Has the way that you've measured and evaluated the team on a virtual basis evolved or changed? You know, one of the things that has become much more important is so we rolled out a new sales methodology, which was about co-creating value with the customer. So rather than going in and, you know, presuming to know what they care about and then doing your discovery and validating, it was really about sitting down kind of same side of the table and having a hypothesis, but really together trying to figure out what are we solving for and can we help? And that process, which we're calling the value engagement framework, it's a bit of a mouthful, but but that that be, has become a new behavior that we are tracking. And I would say almost supersedes some of the other normal activity metrics, like, you know, a disco or demo or other things, especially at the, the more, in the more complex deals. And so the reason, you know, one of the reasons that that has become so, so important in this environment is that whatever you knew about the customer three or six months ago is probably out the window. We've got to be going back and making sure that we understand what is the current environment doing to this customer's business? How are their priorities shifted? How might, you know, our solution be more or less important to them based on what's going on? And if we were to, you know, just maintain a normal sales process because we were, you know, mid-cycle from six to 12 months ago, we, we're probably really, you know, missing missing the mark in you know moving this deal along. And so that's become, I'd say, the, the probably biggest shift in our sales process and what we're tracking. Is that a, like a type of conversation or is it like a checklist of questions and you're just confirming that they've been completed by the rep? It's a little bit of, I mean, if it's done well, it's a, it's a conversation, but there are, it is a specific framework that the reps can use to guide the conversation and making sure that they're asking the right questions. And, and that ends up being a, a, you know, a document, if you will, that they can put into the CRM. And, you know, that's one of the ways that we can track it. 
All right, the CRM. You are owned by Microsoft. We have to assume. <laughs> I was, I was <laughs> it may not be Salesforce that you're using, and fair enough. Kudos to you. I want to shift to the point of you know same side of the table. I want to shift to the other side of the table, which is the buyer. And obviously, there, there's a number of challenges for managing a virtual sales team, but there's also challenges, and I would imagine, if not challenges, opportunities, but just modifications or evolutions in how people are buying. And one of the big questions people have is, you know, is face-to-face selling a thing of the past and how do people overcome it? So when you think about looking out across your team and looking out across buyers and how they're behaving, what's your prognosis on uh, virtual selling versus in-person selling? And what other, what other changes have you noticed in terms of how people buy? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been talking to a lot of other sales leaders as we're all going through this together. And I think one of the things that surprised many of us is how effective we've been, our teams have been at getting even the biggest, most complex deals done in a completely virtual world. And so, in fact, a few of the companies that I've talked to have said the biggest deals they've ever done have been in the last few months. And we're seeing some of the the same things happen in our world. And, you know, I think there are a couple of dynamics playing out. Number one is we know from the research that customers are doing so much more of their due diligence well before any salesperson walks in the door. So they're already far down the buying path, whether that's, you know, an in-person or a video conference or phone call with, with a rep. So that's one is, they're coming to the table much, much more prepared. The second dynamic that we're seeing play out, at least in our business, and I have to imagine this is happening elsewhere, is that we are seeing much, much more scrutiny of the uh, proposals and business cases and seeing much more involvement, especially at the 11th hour. Procurement, you know, of course, always plays a strong role in in the, the, the final, you know, kind of one yard getting it across the line, but we're seeing CFOs and CEOs getting involved in deals that, you know, in a typical world might not have, they might not have been involved, especially, you know, at certain price points, but we're seeing a lot more scrutiny. And so our, our team is having to do a lot more of buttoning up and making sure the business case is super, super tight. And in the customer's words and the way that they would you know, describe and characterize value, not just in the way that, you know, we would. So that's something that I think in this environment, every company is, you know, we're all uncertain about what the future holds and no one wants to be making frivolous investment decisions. And and so that requires all of us to be prepared for a CFO or CEO to, to swoop in at the 11th hour and, and, you know, kick the tires on something we're proposing or that we've already gotten a bunch of verbal commitments on. So that's another. And, you know, I, I think that, my prediction is that we're going to see virtual selling here to stay. I mean, we've been successful doing, you know, we've had inside sales teams being super successful for, you know, a long time. I wonder if we'll move to a world where, you know, maybe in just the a rare circumstance or a really specific circumstance, we'll, we'll go on site to a customer. But I don't know that going back to, you know, full field selling as the, the default is, is really going to happen. I'm not sure. What do, what do you think based on what, what you've been seeing? I think I, I 100% agree with you. I think a couple things. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, first of all, I think you're right. You know, I was planning on being on a plane the entire month of April and a lot of May. And obviously I wasn't. And I got more done and I got it done without impacting, you know, without all of the the negatives. There's a lot of benefits of business travel, but there's a lot of costs. There's there's 
physical health costs a lot of the time, just in terms of jet lag and stress and your diet. And so I, I see that it's really possible to get a lot done virtually. The other thing I see is there's a big benefit, frankly, to the climate and to the environment. You know, if, if we're mm-hmm. not all flying on planes all the time, the world's probably a little bit cleaner. The other thing, and I, this is what I was going to ask you, is I think there are different types of personalities. And I, I wonder, my question back to you is, has your leaderboard changed? Are there people that are thriving in this world that were not thriving in a, in a more face-to-face world? And are there face-to-face people that are struggling with this transition such that the profile of what a successful seller looks like is actually different today than it was six months ago? What do you think? Well, that is a super interesting question. I don't know that I have a perspective based on just the last few months of data, because I, I think in some ways, the people that were hustling before that were willing to get on the planes and go do the work and, you know, all of the the slog to, you know, get the get the conversation and all of that work that went into. It. I think they're probably like like you said, channeling that in even in more effective ways. So they're probably hyper productive because they're not having to you know be delayed at airports and rent, do rental cars and all of those things. Um, but I what I do think is going to be really interesting, and I think here's where we're going to see the the difference in who rises to the top. People that used to rely on relationships as their calling card and how they got deals done, I think those people are going to struggle because in this environment, it is not, you know, not enough for the smile and a shoe shine to be, you know, that is not going to get, get you to a successful outcome today. The, the stakes are too high. People have, I think a lower tolerance and a higher threshold for a quality conversation that has business impact. And they're not going to want to take precious time, even probably when we're, back to normal to do the whining and dining and the, you know, all, I think it's really going to be about business outcome in a way that it never has been before. So I think that's what we'll start to see is people that were really old school and and that's how they wanted to do this, this job and this profession. If they can't adapt to this new environment, I think that where's where we might see some of the, the differential. And when you think about adaptation, I guess maybe that's maybe, maybe the answer is just to focus on business outcomes and ROI, but Given that virtual selling isn't going anywhere, what is the most important thing you think people should remember when moving from face-to-face to virtual? Well, I think one of the things is you're competing for their attention with a million things that you never thought about before, right? It's, you know, and it probably is largely family, it is probably job pressure, it's probably anxiety, things that in an, in, again, in a pre-COVID world, we probably didn't, we, we didn't feel like we were up against as much and we might not have been. And so I think that's one. And, and then because of that, I think that we're going to see it's harder to maintain momentum in deals. You know, you do your video conference or your disco, your demo with, with a customer prospect, and you're going to really need mutual accountability and commitment to move, to move a deal forward, probably in a way that, you didn't before because it's easy enough, I think, to you know hide behind your your computer and and not engage with a salesperson if it wasn't a, a great experience. Or it's, it's not something that you need. And so I think this idea of we're going to have to figure out how to keep the momentum in deals. In I, I think it's going to be harder than it's been. Interesting, interesting. Well, we're we're almost at the time uh, at the end of our time together, Alyssa. But the, in this last pit, I. You know, you've had such an incredible career. You, you know, we, we look at average tenure in kind of high growth companies and you're you're trumping that in spades and your, you know, tenure runs both at CEB and now at LinkedIn. When you think about sort of like 
giving advice to some of the early, the people that are earlier in their career, what advice do you have? And, and when you, I guess specifically, there are probably some pivotal career moments that you think helped land you in your current role. What, what do you, what were they and, and, and how did you handle them that you think was beneficial and share those, those lessons with the audience? Sure. You know, I, and th- thanks for the very, very kind words, but I think that there, there are probably just a couple of things that I would say it made me stick out slightly, sometimes in good and sometimes in not so good ways from the crowd. Um, and one of the piece of, uh, pieces of advice that I had gotten, you know, probably early and then you hear it repeated throughout your career is really making your boss look good. But it's not really making your boss look good. It's basically do your absolute best to perform at the best of your abilities so that, you know, you are the person that your boss never has to worry about. You know, and that doesn't mean just results. It means being a great team player and having a great attitude. It means helping other people. It also means, and this is where sometimes I get myself into hot water, it also means at times giving feedback to your boss and highlighting things that, you know, aren't really resonating or working or that, you know, feedback on behalf of the team that you can channel in a constructive way that that helps them to be more effective or identify, helps them to identify a problem they didn't know they had. That one can be a little tricky and has to be done, you know, delicately depending on who your boss is and what their personality is. But I actually think it's a combination of those things throughout my career that have enabled me to just take on more responsibility because I showed up in a slightly, you know, more mature way than maybe the role called for what they would have expected at my the stage of my career. And then, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about that one move where I said to my boss, you know, I want to, I want to take this job, even though, you know, I'm the least obvious candidate, but I, you know, I think I'm exactly what you need. I think it's also being willing and comfortable to state what you want and ask for it. And even when he said no, the first couple of times, we had a, you know some really constructive conversations about why I didn't agree with his perspective. And ultimately, I really think it was the, the role that unlocked this next role for me. And so I think it's having, you know, finding the confidence to, you know, be willing to have those conversations when, when you've earned the right. I love it. I think there's, there's always people that help us get where, get where we got. When you think about some of your, your best mentors and people that you think we should know about, who are some of the folks that, that come to mind? Well, I've had some amazing managers over the, the, the years, but you know, I, there, there are two people that I think probably gave me a perspective that I wouldn't have had just through the mentors or people that I'd worked for. Um, and one was a woman named Twee Sandel, who was one of my coaches. Uh, when I got to a certain level at LinkedIn, I was able to work with an executive coach and she helped me to understand some of the dynamics of how I was showing up as a female leader that I was totally unaware about. Uh, mm. and, and it was some real blind spots. And well, yeah, we can go there. That's a, that's a whole podcast in itself. Um, but, but one of the things that I was not really aware of is that, you know, women are in this sort of double bind position of when you're strong, you're seen as, the bitch. And when you're weak or you're soft, you're seen as weak. And I can, I can just, you know, I have quite a bit of range and sometimes I'm really tough and sometimes I can be really, you know, empathetic and, and, and on the softer side and, uh, but understanding that in the workplace, that is such a hard line for a female leader, especially who's in a leadership position with authority to walk and how people, even people, how people interpret feedback from a female manager 
is wildly different than how they interpret it from a male manager. So things like that, that I had to take a look in the mirror and say, gosh, how am I showing up in each of these situations? And, you know, there's probably truth both in people's perception, but also there's a misperception about some of this. And so how do I think about, you know, how, how I want to be perceived and how I can still be authentic. So that's, that's a longer conversation, but that was one of the things that I, I just really thought, well, as long as I'm, you know, being a good leader and delivering results, that should be all that matters. And the reality is that of course, isn't all that matters when you're, you know, trying to navigate your career. And so, so that was, that was one. And, I, you know, she was just really the first person that, that made me super aware of that. Um, and then the second, I, I have had an opportunity to work with another coach named Andy Kelly, and we've done just some incredible work together on leadership development. And he's another one that's just held a mirror up and helped me understand all of the growth that I needed to go through to, to continue to, you know, be, to be the kind of leader that I wanted to be and, and how there were lots of blind spots that even after my work with Twee, I continued to recognize and, and need to do work on. So it's been a journey of learning. And, you know, one of the things that I'll share, because not all of the listeners on this podcast may be in a position where their company will pay for a coach, but I've got a couple of people on my team, even individual contributors who have said, you know, I'm going to invest in my own development. And so they've gone out and hired a coach. And I just think that is one of the most admirable things that you can do. And probably one of the best investments you can make at any time in your career. If, you know, you're at a place where you feel stuck, where you feel like you could use an external perspective, you know, great if your company pays for it, but if not, there are some really great resources out there to be able to do it at any level of affordability. So that, that's something that I, you know, can't recommend enough to people because I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without their their guidance. I love it and wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and I've got, I work with a number of different coaches for different things. So I uh, completely agree with you. Alyssa, if folks are listening and they're inspired, they hear that LinkedIn Sales Navigator is growing, Sales Solutions, are you open to people reaching out to you? And if so, what's your preferred method of communication? Yes. Listen, we're always looking for great talent and it's just great to be connected to, to good people. So, you know, LinkedIn is the, the best way. Feel free to send me an in-mail, reach out and love to connect. Awesome. Alyssa, thanks so much for being on the show again. And we're going to talk to you on Friday for Friday Fundamentals, but thanks for joining us. Thank you. So great to reconnect. Hi, everyone. This is Sam Jacobs at Sam's Corner. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation with Alyssa Merwin, a fantastic leader, an incredible person, and somebody that has really embraced the opportunity to lead from the front when it comes to this COVID pandemic. So I just really appreciated her perspective and her take and her insights on how to motivate the team, how to stay engaged and connected with the team and how to make sure that you are evolving both your messaging, but also your morale and your engagement levels with your team as we navigate through this unprecedented crisis. So I thought it was a great conversation. Before we go, we would like, I would like, personally, I would like to thank our sponsors. Now, the first sponsor is Sapper Consulting, and they have, rec they have created something that is just absolutely incredible. It's this platform called Reggie. But it's R-E-G-I-E. -E. Revenue teams use Reggie to easily and effortlessly optimize on the promise of sales engagement campaigns. So this is where you need to type into your URL if you're on your browser. Go.regie.io. Go.regie.io. That's where you're supposed to go. So I hope you go there. If you do, we can continue to have the Sales Hacker Podcast. If you don't, 
we will all be eating porridge like Oliver Twist. So it's up to you what what I will be eating in the future. But if you'd like me to eat a regular four-course meal every day, then go to go.reggie.io, but Reggie with one G. Second sponsor is Outreach, the number one sales engagement platform. Check them out at www.outreach.io. If you want to reach me, you can. You can email me, sam at revenuecollective.com, linkedin.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. Otherwise, I will talk to you next time.